0: To where brains meet beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Welcome back to the show. This week's episode features Jenna Owens. She is the founder of Fittish CBD Skincare. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Amy Gordonier. She's the founder and CEO of SkinFix. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody! Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be here with Jenna Owens. She is the founder of Fetish CBD Skincare. Welcome to where brains meet beauty. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to meet you, Jenna, and I've learned so much about you through our intake call. But you just revealed something that we really need to address, which is <laughs> what your mom what does your mom sometimes call the name of your company? So she'll
1: say, "How's Fetish going?" I'm like it's going great, mom. <laughs> hey, it's a good accident, right? And people always say that to me. And I find myself now using it when I'm giving my email address, you know, like fittish.com. I'm like, it's like fetish, but fit.
0: (laughs) Right, it's just that she's gonna not, she's gonna find something different when she Google searches the company. Yeah, careful Googling that, mom. Um, Okay, so Jenna, let's go back in time to your 11-year-old self. And if someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) What was your answer?
1: How fun. So I would have said, uh, well, at the time I was a super tomboy playing soccer. So I really idolized, you know, the Mia Hams and that sort of thing. So that and then uh, and I loved I loved scary shows, criminal psychology. So I probably would have tried to make a career out of one of those two things. And now I'm doing neither.
0: (laughs) Well, you own a brand. So I think you're sort of a psychologist, like a cultural psychologist when we do customer targeting and whatnot.
1: Hey, that's for sure, right? I would say I've learned, I mean, any psychology, I can't stress enough how important I think psychology is. You learn so much about yourself as a person and your kind of interpersonal relationships and owning a brand and customers and kind of how to treat people or why not to be offended when people treat you a certain way.
0: (laughs) So um, you had a really interesting career outside of beauty as a radio host. Can you tell us about that journey? How did you get into that business? Yeah,
1: so I was a journalism major in college, and I had wanted to, I really wanted to write for Rolling Stone or be a sports reporter. I wasn't quite sure where I would land there. And I I suddenly realized when I did these demo reels in college with my journalism degree that, you know, all these TV stations were like, yeah, you're okay. Can you cut all your hair off? And I was like, what? (laughs) This is what they asked for? They don't like long hair. They want you to be very preppy and conservative, you know, to be a reporter. And I was like, this is so not my style. I'm more of a creative type. Type. this is not going to fly. And so I thought, oh, well, I maybe I could get a job on the radio because people don't know what you look like, right? You have to master the art of storytelling. They can't discount you because either you're attractive or because your hair's too long or whatever it is. So I jumped into that. And that was actually a wonderful form of journalism for me because when you host a radio morning show, I joined an ensemble cast, right? So I was the newbie. I was always the youngest. There were four others on the show, but we were really a melting pot of cultures. And it's wonderful to be people's drive to work in the morning, and um, you know a high a high stress job for sure. Getting up, I woke up at four a.m. every single day for about thirteen years, uh, so it definitely wasn't easy. And then that kind of led me to have this opportunity to create a brand for myself with a platform I had organically built.
0: Well, okay, I want to go back in time because I think this is just so cool. How did you get the first radio job? I auditioned. actually, I did a
1: commercial for a strip club. I I did, yeah. So I was doing voiceover work because I have this kind of raspy, deeper voice, right? And I'm from Ohio originally, but when I I had moved to Dallas, right, to get this job and they liked that I had, when you're from the Midwest, they consider you to have a neutral accent, even though people in the South think you sound like a, quote, Yankee is what they say. But, you know, you don't have that very New York or Boston accent. You kind of have this weird, neutral situation going on. And so, and now people in the North think I sound, I picked up a little Southern because I love it. But anyway, I was doing commercials because I had this neutral accent. And so that was my first little gig. But one of the commercials was for a strip club in town. And it had that imaging and that music like ons, ons. And I was like like, topless bull riding and $12.99 shrimp buffet. <laughs> I was talking real sexy. My mom, I mean, I was just out of college. My mom had to have been so proud, you know. She, Of course, she's like, yay, sweetie, you're doing great, you know. And so that was my first, like, gig, doing some voiceover work. And then I found out the biggest morning show in town was looking for a young female, you know, um, personality. And I went in thinking I was going to have an interview, but that's not really how talent positions work. You don't interview with the boss or the host. They throw you into a mock on air recording segment. And they just kind of put me on the spot, you know, about dating and things like that. And I think I'm really good at hiding when I'm nervous and I can, I can speak, you know, public speaking was something I was good at. So yeah, that was it. And then I, so I got that gig just to be this young female (laughs) correspondent on the show. (laughs)
0: You know, I think it's so fascinating that for 13 years, you're part of um, a lot of areas. Actually, you had 80 cities. So you were the you were part of the entertainment. You were part of what got people to work every day, even if they hated their jobs. Right. Like I I think that there's a lot of um, responsibility in that role when, you know, most of the world doesn't love their jobs, maybe the way that you do.
1: There is. And no, and I didn't love my job the way I think most outsiders would think you would love it. And I think that's a that's a load to carry. I mean, especially when you go through the things that normal, all of us normal people go through, right? That you get your heart broken, right? Or you suffer a huge loss and you're grieving, but people don't want to wake up every day and hear you all negative and depressed, right? Because they want to forget that they're negative and depressed about what they're about to do all day or what they're going through. So there was definitely a balance there. There were definitely days that I would, you know, you're your And you can be relatable, but then you can't be depressed every day, even when you're going through a hard time. So then you have to like hold it in, you know, and cry the whole car ride home. But I think the nature of that is that you build this familial sense, right, with an audience just by the nature of speaking open and honestly. I mean, imagine having to talk for four hours and be on your game for four hours every single morning you're gonna have to talk about the mundane stuff, right? You're gonna have to talk about the embarrassing things, you know, about your body hair, or about an embarrassing situation that happened at the gym. And so by telling all of that and being very TMI, you're getting women that are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she admitted that, but me too, right? And so they feel like they know you and they become, you know, really loyal to you or feel like they have we have a good relationship, which we do, you know, which we do. They know me more than I know them, but that's kind of the nature of people listening to you every morning.
0: I mean, the way you're talking about it, it's almost like the precursor to the Kardashians, right? Like where we like hear <laughs> about the mundane, we hear about like their periods or their bladder infections or like whatever, right? Like like letting people in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, there's highs and lows, but it really boils down to the sort of like entertaining sort of um chance to step out of our own heads and um live for a few minutes, you know, in someone else's world. So it's an um,
1: escape, right? It's all in. A, I mean, all of all forms of entertainment really are an escape from us. And I think it's the most relatable form of escape because you're hearing about real people's lives that are kind of parallel to yours and how they deal with situations. So, uh, it, no, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful career to have.
0: Right. And like, what a great precursor to the world of influencer, right? Because you were influential, even if we didn't use that language back then, right? Um And you, you, your yeah, fans guess, knew you.
1: unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, unintentionally. I mean, it was a strange thing. When I started the radio job, Instagram wasn't um, you know what we know it to be now. And so that was interesting because I never got, um, you know, recognized around Dallas or anything because people didn't really know what we looked like, right? And then all of a sudden, when Instagram started taking off more, you know, then people started recognizing, we couldn't get away with those hidden mic on the street bits and stuff like that. But it was so funny, and this story may be TMI, but the first time anyone ever recognized me for anything, I think you think when you have a job like that, you're gonna have like a young girl who comes up to you and is like, I love your outfit, I love, you know, you think that that's what it's gonna be like. But I remember so vividly, I had only been doing the job for a year or two. I was at a gynecology appointment, I was mid-exam, and my gynecologist, who I had seen for the last couple of years since I had lived in Dallas, she slides over over on her stool very dramatically, like glove on her hand. And and she goes, oh my God, I know you. And I was like, yeah, you're my gynecologist. And I've been coming here. She goes, no, I know you. I recognize your voice. Right. And so that's the trouble I would get in because my voice was so distinct that I would have moments in dressing rooms at the mall and, you know, or in situations like that. I mean, isn't that the last person you want to know what you do for a living and who you are? She's like, don't worry, I won't say anything to anyone. I was like, well, I hope not, because what if I had an STD or what if I had something going on you think your gynecologist is going to be like, Jenna on the radio has this. And she's like, well, I can't do that. (laughs) But yeah, it spawned this whole celebrity vagina skit that ended up being very funny on the radio. They made a theme song. And again, and that was a story that I told, right? Which was funny. But uh, yeah, I guess it just, it's never quite what you think it's going to be, that kind of recognition, right?
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. Well, um, let's talk about how you transitioned from 4am wake up calls into life as a a beauty entrepreneur. Um, How did this happen? "Ben,"
1: This happened out of primarily driven by a sense of unfulfillment. And I like to be very honest about that because I think people would look at me having a job on the radio as, well, wow, that's amazing. You have this salaried position. It's so glamorous. You get to interview these celebrities. But frankly, I was unfulfilled. I was unfulfilled creatively at some point. It was great for a while. But I was tired again at 4 a.m. I recognized it wasn't going to be conducive to any sort of balanced life, right? My dating life was shit. Can I say that? Sorry. My dating life was terrible. Uh, my, you know, just, I couldn't go out to dinners with friends. And so I was suffering, you know, on that level, truly. And I wanted to figure out how can I capitalize off this very genuine organic kind of community of women and audience that I've built into something that, you know, not just to hawk a product real quick, but into something that is fulfilling ultimately for me to then, you know, have another chapter of my life that I can open up. And I sat on it for a long time. I really did. I don't think anyone that says this idea just was like born overnight and it was an instant success. I mean, I I don't, I frankly just don't believe that. I think that you have to really sit on things to know you're not going to tire of it and to be passionate about it. So yeah, I sat on this idea for a while and I just kind of thought, well, I want to approach the the real side of myself, the side of myself that is fittish. I know, you know, I have mentioned this to you um, when we talked before today. Just that this word now, all the ishes are really more commonplace, right? I think we live in a society now that people want to be ish everything. But you know, you have to remember this is like over a decade ago that I was saying this word, and so I trademarked this word, and uh, just because I kept saying fittish because I thought let's be genuine, right? I'm genuine. I am. Um, I do not work- like to work out that much. I do it just to feel better, right? Like twenty minutes here and there and I eat okay-ish, right? I do all these issues. And so I was just always very candid about that. And I thought, well, how do I make a product out of this? And I was so scared. I was so scared to start a business. I I do not have a business background. I am terrible with accounting. I do not have any kind of business sense, I didn't think, but I was creative and I was passionate. So I I was like, what if I sold these workout videos, like the actual 20-minute workouts that I'm doing because it didn't cost much money to make them and then I could get that money back and do a product, which is what I wanted to do. But of course, starting a product is really expensive. so. I did that. I made these finish, I made these 30-ish minute workouts is what they were with a trainer that I, had, you know, that I worked out with and so there was some professionalism to it. And a bunch of people bought them. You know, I think I, you know, I made probably like 40-50 grand pretty quickly and I immediately took that money. You know, the luxury of having a full-time job is that you don't have to live off that money even though you're tired, but I I took that money and I invested it into This CBD skincare, which was a huge risk at a time, but it was something I felt passionate about and I wanted to do athletic beauty products. So the process of doing the workout videos is what kind of led me to come up with that product.
0: Let's go back to um, this feeling of um, unfulfillment because, you know, a lot of our listeners are, they might work at big corporate environments and they do feel um, unfulfilled, but they also have this um, kind of um, nagging um, feeling of guilt. Like, well, why would I be unfulfilled? I have a, I have a full-time job or why would I have been fulfilled? I work for a cool brand. But, um, this is a really personal feeling that, um, you know, I mean, I listen, I listen to my gut. I'm, I listen to my dreams. You know, I'm really tied into what my body's telling me, but it's really hard to act on these things. Um, how did you let yourself really trust this depression? Cause it
1: lasted a while and I was tired of it. I mean, I think if you get to a place with anything, right? Like in relationships, we say it, you just hit a wall, right? And I know that fear is really what holds so much, so many of us back. Cause it's true when you have a salary job or, you know, I've found a lot of people in my life or women that are still stuck in this rut and being miserable. It's because, Oh, well, I get a bonus at the end of the year. So I'm just going to hang on until I get my bonus. Right. But that's great. And it's very scary to walk away from that and not have that sense of financial security because being frank, of course, money is important for all of us. We need it to survive. But I think that if you can manage, you know, if you can manage straddling two things at once, that's what, that's what I did because I was a little bit of a pussy about it. Like, I I didn't want to just quit a job, you know what I mean, and then and start a business from scratch. It was, well, can I start this business? And, yeah, you're going to be tired. You're going to be working two full-time jobs for a period of time. I did that for two years until I felt even then I wasn't 100% sure I was making the right decision. I think a lot of women, too, I've found think that, oh, it's just they're going to wake up one day and go, I have to do it, you know. I don't necessarily think that's true. I got to about 75% certainty that it's what I needed to do. And that was a scary cliff jump moment for me because what if I fail? Okay, what if you fail? You have skills for a corporate environment. You can find another job. You can go back and do it again. It's not starting over, you know? I mean, and how are you going to feel? I guess I started asking myself to really answer your question. Like, how will I feel if I don't do this in 10 years or in 20 years looking back on my life? Oh, and I just had this overwhelming feeling of regret, you know, already. Like, what if I don't do this? What if I do do this and it fails? okay, well, I'll maybe have to move cities and find another radio gig or I'll figure it out, right? If we're all motivated hustling women, we'll figure it out.
0: It's so interesting you mentioned uh, regrets because um, when I was younger, much younger than I am now, I had this like personal philosophy of no regrets and it didn't imply, <laughs> it didn't like have anything to do with like, you know, um, jumping out of an airplane or like any sort of like, you know, death defying stunts is really just about like, if I have this feeling inside that's boiling up that I should ask for something or say hello to someone, if I'm having this like, this physical reaction to the desire to open my mouth and like, honor my feelings or my needs at that moment, then I should have no regrets. I should just do it. Um, So it really at the time was probably about like talking to boys and stuff. Like it probably wasn't anything like super meaningful, but I didn't (laughs) want to regret like not saying hi to that person or not introducing myself or not connecting with someone. And I can, you know, really feel that bubbling up um, sensation as if it was yesterday. And it was my no regrets philosophy um, because I don't think I even knew at the time, like I didn't have this sort of like big view of the world and how limited time we get here. But like, I, I, I knew, I guess, enough that I didn't want to, I didn't want to move on and still have my head in the past. Like I wanted to move forward and say like, I did, I did what I wanted to do um within the limits of the law. Um, So, uh, you know, I think it's so, it's, it's so hard for people to listen to themselves yeah. though. This is a really, a challenging place for pe- most people.
1: I was at a time too, it was hard because, I mean, you talk about no regrets. I think as we get older, we always say we don't want regrets, but like, I definitely have regrets when it comes to like people I've dated. (laughs) I'm like, man, if I had known now. you know, or then what I know now. But so, but no, I think it's just that I, I wasn't feeling sturdy. Like I always felt like I had a good instinct that I was a good reader of people, but I was going through these weird periods of time that I was choosing poorly. And I thought, am I going to regret this decision? I mean, it was a scary, it's a scary thing, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, like, am I going to take out a loan and do this business? And you're going to have, but you know, I, I think something that helped me get there, kind of a combination of things, you know, I talk a lot about having mentors, like you can have mentors. I mean, you could be a mentor for someone, right? Because they listen to you all the time and you give very good advice and interview great people. So you don't have to know your mentor personally. And this is what one of my mentors told me. They're like, have a mentor that you know, have a mentor that you don't know, um, that you just read their books because you like their business advice. And I started doing a lot of that. And I think that you build up courage just by listening to other people. Because when you read some of these other founders stories, oh, it's just amazing. It makes you so excited. I mean, when you think about, you know, reading Shoe Dog, right? Like, we're reading the guy that started Nike Phil Knight. Like, his story is absolutely mind-blowing. If you really go back to what we know Nike to be, we're like, there's no way I could ever do anything like that. But when you see really where that came from, and so it's motivating in a way, it really is, because so many of these people had so many hardships and almost lost their business completely multiple times. And so you recognize that it's all about perseverance and a lot of luck too, sometimes. But you have to just be there. You have to try it. You know, you just have to keep kind of pushing forward. And that really motivated me, you know, just kind of finding some mentors and getting that advice about failure and listening to stories about failure made me feel a lot more comforted by my um, by my risk. <laughs>
0: I love that, Jenna. And, you know, it's making me think of this book that I read a few years ago, not by somebody famous. And it was essentially a furniture manufacturer, a family-owned business. And he chronicled like every month his P&L. And he like, literally like every month at the end of every chapter, they were like almost out of business. And it was like that for 12 chapters. And when I finished that book, I'm like, that's not gonna be me. Like there was no like great big resolution. There was no like selling the company for millions of dollars. Like, they were basically in the same place they were in the beginning of the year, at the end of the year. (laughs) And it was just so motivating for me to be like, I never want to live that life. Like, I want to find a way to not not be where where they are. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you talked about fear of failure. And... um, you know, I guess like I take risk every day in my business and I don't actually think of the word failure, but I guess I f- think of the sensation. Like, why are we afraid to fail? Like, why, why would it have mattered to you at the time if this business idea of Fittish didn't sell for $50,000 $50, worth of videos? Like, what would have been th- that fear? What is it based in? In the beginning, I wouldn't say I had as much fear then as I do now,
1: but I think it's the public humiliation, right, no matter on what scale, which is ridiculous because I don't really care too much, you know, what other people think. But I, but then again, I think that's the reason a lot of people don't start businesses because it becomes publicly known that you started a business and what are people going to think about your logo and what do people think about your idea? But you're the one doing it all. You know, you're the one doing it. If it makes you happy, that's kind of what I've told myself is, okay, if the fear is failure so what, how much money will I be out? And I realized it was about $10,000. And I, and if I didn't sell anything, right, that's what I spent to make the videos. I was like, okay, I mean, that's a lot of money, but I have a job and this can just be a little creative side hustle for me. I can just do what I want with it. Cause that's what it was about for me. Right. At first it was just, no one can tell me what to do. I get to decide on colors and logos and brand. And I needed it in my life. If that makes sense. I just needed a creative outlet and I never anticipated it would turn into what it turned into, but just by starting that to make me happier in the time. Um, but I guess that's it, right? When you start with, when you start something and you actually invest some money, it's just, what if I don't? My other fear was, what if I hate this word? You know, what if I hate this idea in a year? I turn back and I'm like, finish? What? Like, that word's not cool anymore? Or, you know, I just, those were my stupid fears. They were irrational, right? And, uh and I just said, you know what? I think I really like it. I really do. I think I really like it. I'll tell you what, right now, it's been, you know, a few years since I started the whole kind of website and all of it. And uh, I still, I still like it. I still like the logo and I still, (laughs) I do. I wasn't sure.
0: (laughs) So, you know, it's so interesting that um, this thought about failure is really not tied to you. It's about what other people are thinking of you. And that's like, I mean, you know, we know that's bogus, but it's a really true, honest feeling, right? Like yeah. being worried about how other people in my, like, graduating class of college perceive me. Right. Um, <laughs> really, when, but when we say it out loud, it, it means very little. But those feelings are so intense, mm-hmm. right, inside of you. They
1: are, they are. But then, you know, I found that feelings are temporary, right? I think we learn that with anything. Feelings are temporary, and they feel p- very permanent when you're feeling them. But, I mean, that goes to heartbreak, grief of any kind, stress. I mean, I'm really stressed in one moment. I'm going through IVF right now. I can't even tell you the range of emotions I'm feeling, like, out, on a daily basis from injections. I mean, I'm raging and annoyed and sad and depressed. And I know it's interesting, right, because I know that I'm actually not any of those things. It's just a temporary mental medication side effect. And so, but that's really how feelings are, right? You're going to feel embarrassed momentarily or mad momentarily, but it's all fleeting. And at the root of it, if you can go to bed every night and just kind of be proud of your contribution, um, a feeling of fulfillment is something that's much more permanent. I have found feeling fulfilled. So, and that's something that's stuck with me since the onset of this.
0: Yeah. If I could like turn back time and like change one thing about my attitude, I, it would be like not caring what other people think of me. That was a really big pressure for me.
1: It comes with age, doesn't it? You know, I have three girls all in different stages of their 20s that work for me. We're a really lean team. And, you know, there's the good and the bad with hiring really young employees. But what I what I love is uh, getting to talk to them in a way that, you know, I'm 37 next month, which, you know, isn't that old, but it feels like a world away from 25. And so I know that, A, my business would not have been successful if I started it with the mentality I had when I was a 25-year-old woman. And some of their stressors that I've gone through, it's just amazing once you kind of hit 30, you don't care as much what other people think. And I think that's the beauty of starting this business. When I did, I was, you know, 31, 32, I think when I started formulating the ideas and then it's, you don't, you really, you don't, you don't care quite as much, right? Because maybe you realize life's really short and you want to get going on it. Finally, you don't live in that 20 year old bubble anymore. Um, you just frankly don't care as much anymore. And I think that there's, there's a beauty in getting older, a little more emotionally mature, I suppose. (laughs)
0: Well let's um switch gears to this idea of um skincare. So you told me that you looked allergic to working out um yeah. on your skin. <laughs> what <laughs> what does that mean?
1: I was just a tomato. You know, those people when they exercise, they're so red. You're like, are they okay? (laughs) That was me. (laughs) Are they going to die? They're allergic to exercise. And so I get really red. I really do. Very red. And uh, I never thought that that was rosacea. But then I realized that, you know, if I get real nervous too, and I'm a little fairer skinned, I get like red patches. And so I get real flush. And I thought... I had been taking CBD for a while. The CBD for me at the time, you know, especially living in Texas, was a huge risk. I mean, I've been a big proponent of the, just kind of the cannabis space in general. I feel like it's going to be, you know, it already is and will continue to be very prevalent and kind of an epic, life-changing thing for many people. But it's hard to convince people of that when it was formerly illegal. But I uh, I had been taking CBD orally for things like... Um, you know, my anxiety kind of flying and sleeping. I was taking Ambien and Xanax. And that was that whole period of time that I was just not feeling very good. And I thought, I got to get off of this stuff. And I started taking the tincture because that was kind of the first CBD products on the market. And I was like, I- I'm feeling a little bit more balanced because that's really what you're going to feel with that. And and so when it came to making these products, I I knew originally before the CBD element that I wanted to do athletic beauty. I was working out one day and I thought well, I want to do a product because these women are spending a ton of money on workout clothes. Athleisure was having such a moment, still is. and uh, But women aren't showering. I'd be in the restroom and like, they're not showering. They're putting on some powder, lipstick, mascara, freshening up, perfume, and then they're going across the street to have a margarita or you, whatever it is, right? Going to their kid's soccer game, this sort of lifestyle. And I thought, why aren't there more products in the crowded beauty space that that actually help Women like me, like people like me, be on the go from a job to another job to working out and having a life, and so that was the original concept that just kind of hit me. And then, um, and then I had been taking CBD, and I thought, if it's so good when you're when it's ingested, I wonder how it is mixed with you know some sprays for my skin. And so that was really it for me. It was trying it for a couple months and a spray on my face, and I thought wow, my redness is going, I mean, it would usually take like a couple hours for my face to not be super red. And it was going down, you know, within 20 or 30 minutes when I was using this spray. And I thought, well, maybe there's a little something to this and it's working for my rosacea. I never could have imagined all of the other things that it would help. Um, I just thought, well, this is this is great, you know, so I made a cooling mist with it and that was my first product and people just started buying it um, out of, I think, to support me. It was affordable and uh, and then they were writing me going, oh my gosh, look at my eczema or look at my
0: psoriasis and I was like, yeah, wow, I had
1: no idea it was going to do that.
0: <laughs> so um, your initial customer was this active, um, busy person who was going from activity to activity. Um, Is that still the profile of your target customer or has that changed over time?
1: You know, I wouldn't even say that was the target, right? I knew from being on the radio that... Because we did so many studies, right, with the morning show of who are, they do these reports, you know, quarterly of who the average listener of the show is, right? So I knew, I mean, she had a name, right? Like I think her her name was Jennifer and she was 29 and she had a child and she had, you know, two jobs. She was a single mom. So that was kind of the average demographic. So I kept that in mind, even though I didn't do any real kind of strict study of my Followers, but I had to imagine that m- people following me from the radio show were people that lived in these certain markets, and and I think that was pretty true. So it wasn't necessarily active, right? Like they were exercising every day. It was just that they were busy. They needed more approachable and affordable skincare, and I liked the athletic spin. Truly just because it felt like a niche, you know, that it didn't really exist. So I wanted and I, you know, I'm a little tomboy at heart. So I love the whole idea of these like fun, sporty names and stuff. I just thought that was cool from a branding perspective. It was nothing more than that. Uh, yeah, so I so marketing to them. I would say we're about 70% women. Very gender neutral, you're just gonna get more content from women and more feedback than you do from men, but we have a lot of male customers as well because we don't use anything floral or really any fragrance at all. Really fresh, like kind of eucalyptus aloes and everything. yeah, I would still say, I mean, the cool thing about CBD, though, is that it's not just a 29-year-old woman, right? It's that you have a maybe a 40-year-old woman that buys the product, and then her daughter's home from college or whatever. You know, our high school daughter tries it and loves it, and it still has elevated packaging. That was important to me to keep it affordable, but still have cool cool branding and cool packaging so we don't really age discriminate because CBD can help everyone from young people, you know, to, to people that are, you know, seniors,
0: So um, our last topic that we have time for is on um, how to grow the business. Like scaling is, um, you know, the big challenge, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, there's so many great ideas out there. There's so many beautiful products. But, um, you know, getting from launching into, you know, actually creating enough revenue to fuel growth and put money in your pocket is a different thing. So um, what is your strategy for scaling? So yeah, I mean, isn't that the
1: the biggest challenge, right? You think just having a successful product that does well the first year, and then you're like, oh, you need to double it year over year? Yeah, and that just gets harder and harder. So a couple, for us, the strategy it has been sticking with this D to C. And I think that COVID really taught us a lot because we had gotten into some major retail and, uh, a, didn't enjoy it, took a lot of bandwidth from my very lean team. My strategy has been if we can continue to have a successful D 2 C business model, your margins are better, right? Because you're getting all your money. You're not giving 55 or 60% to a major retailer and paying additional teams to manage all of that, right? Because it's it's a lot of work. It, it takes a lot of people and money to do that. Um, and then... When we saw that we have really good return customer rate, I mean, I think that's really important to focus on first, right? You want customers that come back. You don't want to be kind of a a one-hit wonder. Um, That's going to make it really difficult, right? So you want products that customers, that they love. So that was our first focus, right? And then once we nailed that and had a really good retention rate on those customers, now we're in the stage of, okay, how do we double that audience base, right? And so for us, and speaking with other companies that are way farther along than me, you know, it's it's really all about advertising. So, for, you know, we're growing the SKU count because having more of an offering, just the nature of that, you may bring in other customers from men to pet products, things like that. Um, so, you're going to, you know, kind of open up to who your potential customer is. But it's really getting good kind of SEO and advertising spend and hiring. You know, we're outsourcing a, a team that is really working on that and being pretty aggressive with that. But if you remain D2C, you're able to continue to use those profits and get the most out of every dollar, you know, and put it back into the business. And so I would say, I mean, that's that's my recommendation and that's my plan for our company.
0: Uh, I love this focus where you have more control. I was actually meeting with a brand from another country and they want to enter the U.S. market and go into all the big retailers. I'm like, why would you want to do that? Like, there's just so much cost, so much time, so much distraction. And then in the end, you'll probably end up getting kicked out anyway because you'll never have enough money to drive the growth that they require. Um, It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I've learned so much, you know, that I think a
1: lot of us when we're, I used to be a consumer, right? I was a consumer, avid consumer of beauty products. I'm going into Sephora and Ulta, spending a whole paycheck, right? Trying everything. And when you learn, you know, not that it's not a dream ultimately at some point to be in a store like that, because I think it's wonderful. But when you're a small business, I cannot stress enough how much I would recommend against it. And you think that you're not going to be successful until you get there. But I think you, see these other companies, the Glossier of the world, and a lot of these other, I mean, they're more funded, of course, from the jump, but they're straight D2C. And why? Well, because it's a brilliant business model if you can sustain it, and people have to come to you to buy product. And I think being in a big retailer, if you're not equipped with all the capital to handle that, um, it'll put you out of business. I've heard so many horror stories about that. So, no, we're just going to ride this wave and grow at D2C as long as we can, you know, until we have more help and that's the right decision.
0: Well Jenna, I love getting to know you. I'm so grateful for you sharing your wisdom with me and my listeners today. Thanks for your time Jody. thanks for having me. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jenna. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes and for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at wherebrains Meet Beauty Podcast Thanks for listening to where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.